Hello, welcome to the Full Stack Beauty Podcast, where we dive into beauty, tech, mom life, and more. I'm your co-host, Sarah, here with Sabrina. In today's episode, we're joined by the GOAT in the beauty world, Michelle Lee. She's an award-winning editor and a visionary who has influenced the beauty industry for so long. We're so excited to have her here. Sarah, did you, well, first, did you really just get back from Korea? I did. And I took Harley with me. This is our second time to Korea, but this first time I'm traveling alone with me. So that was super interesting. But um, luckily she slept on the flight going and coming back. So that was a huge lifesaver. And then um, her jet lag wasn't too bad. I would say two days there, two days when she got back, she was like, her sleep was all messed up. But um, you took a toddler to Korea and she slept both legs like there and back. Yes. Not fully. I think when we went, she slept like five hours. The flight is like 12, but, um, she was just so excited to watch movies, um, and have screen time that she, she was good. It just, um, the challenge for me was she wouldn't eat anything on the plate. She didn't like any of the airplane food, which I don't blame her. Yeah. But wow. I feel like that could be like another side hustle of yours. If you had the secret sauce to have to make sure you have a child or a toddler sleep on both legs of a really long international flight, because I suck at that. Like I'm like my youngest will just refuse to nap. She's just like, Nope, not happening. And I'm like, but this is like hour 13. She's yeah. like, Nope, not doing it. And I was like, okay. Oh, this sucks. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm so happy because that's such a stressful part of like mom life is airplane travel. Yes, and I was I was actually stressed with her because um, usually I have like all of the things like TSA pre and like lounge access, and I didn't have any of that this time. And um, I have to say, going to Korea was like such an amazing experience um, versus coming back because uh, when we boarded. They let us. They let people with board, uh, with kids board right after people in wheelchairs before first class. Okay, nice. so they like <laughs> they like basically like we were like the VVIPs, the and VVIPs. then when we got off, <laughs> when we got off, um, they have a special line in immigration for people traveling with kids, and there's no wow. line. We got straight through, and um, because I don't know if you know this, but Korea is having like a huge population issue because people aren't having kids and so if like you're Korean and you have a you have a kid you're just like you know you're doing like um a patriotic duty essentially and so it's just like red carpet then on the way back it was like a rude awakening because they (laughs) like they let us board um basically after everybody you know like first class business um sky priority platinum status whatever whatever and then it was like the general boarding yeah. Um, and then they were, we were like in the beginning of the general party. And then in immigration, th- there was like nothing. We were like 100 people back because our stroller didn't come out for like an additional like 15 minutes after we deboarded and we have to wait around. And it just, you know, when you have a toddler who's tired, you're just trying to get home and all of these like um, obstacles, uh, I don't know. I just feel yeah. like, we need to treat people traveling alone 
with like tired toddlers a little bit better because it was like a nightmare. We basically were like the last ones off the plane, last ones to get our luggage, like last ones to go through immigration, everything. Oh, that's brutal. Um, man, yeah, traveling with kids is always a like rolling the dice. You just never know what's going to happen. But I do think maybe because you were traveling solo with her, I feel like kids have these like spidey senses that like when when they're just solo with one parent, they're they're just more they're nicer. Like they deep down know it's a lot and they're just yeah. nicer. Like I've done that where I've been alone with mine and somehow I think it's going to be insane, but when I'm solo, they're just they're like they're easier to, like one will help the other, like the other will like they'll just like self soothe. Nice. So I feel like Harley um just, you know, she she tuned into her spidey sense to to be sweet to you so that's great I'm, I'm happy for you yeah i maybe she's like my mom is on the verge of a breakdown and i cannot push <laughs> her past that point yeah um, but there was like one funny moment because i waited till she was asleep and then i went to use the bathroom and yeah. when i got back she was like uh like she had gotten up and she was like looking for me in all of the like aisles. <laughs> That is a good one. Like having to go pee when your kid's sleeping on a plane. It's not like a a car. You know, you're not allowed to leave them in the car if they're sleeping. But like, what is the etiquette for planes? I've definitely done that. And I've been stuck on that. So that's a good one that you brought up. (laughs) I know. And I I, I was like mortified because she was like in her sock. She was like way up there. I was like, oh my goodness. Can you please come back? Yeah. Oh man. But the stewardesses were also like super nice. They... They know what they're doing. They know how to like soup babies. Yeah, they some of them definitely have super skills around how like when to come in when they're having yes. a meltdown. And some don't, but there's the ones that do are really good at it. Yeah, I just I was like, I don't know, these flight attendants, they were um, they were a godsend. Oh, good stuff. Well, I had uh, an opposite update where I've like traveled a lot with my kids. So my kids, uh, my my husband, I got got invited to kind of like a dad's ski thing. So basically, it's like three dads and their and the 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 kids going. So he's taking the my boys. Uh, so he took them and then they went snowboarding. Um, so I instead decided to go on a solo travel trip with a friend of mine who I've been, you know, she's one of my closest friends, but lives in Texas. And so we decided like, since our husbands and kids were going, her and I were going to meet up for that weekend. And so we had a great, like just the two of us weekend. We just did all things wellness. We hiked, um, and just kind of chatted and went horseback riding for the first time, which was like insane, but it was just cool to like, just completely decompress. And the best is traveling when you're by yourself and you oh just my start. god luxury luxury kids like just going to the airport your vacation starts right like yeah. it's amazing so I got a great I had a great kind of solo weekend with a with a great girlfriend of mine that's that's amazing I I really could use that right now it's <laughs> just like a nice relaxing decompressing weekend yeah I know I'm I'm, I'm sending you my energy from it I know um horseback riding is it hard? I mean, I've, yeah. I've, I've ridden on a horse before. I wouldn't call it like riding. I would say more like walking along. It, it's it's a whole other world, like trusting yourself to be Nicole. on an animal. They're and scary. Yeah. And like, it's so, I, like, it's so tough too, because you see it in movies and it just so- looks and just looks like something like is so easy and chill for the people that do it. And it's such a, like a loving relationship that people have with horses and like, I love horses too. They're beautiful, but they scare the crap out of me because yeah. I'm not used to it. And it's a whole thing. 
So it was good to get over that hump and uh, just, you know, put myself in a completely vulnerable situation and just, you know, and I made it. It was fun and I would totally do more of it. Did you bond with your horse? I don't know. I thought I did. I mean, I just like, I, they're just like the sweetest looking animals and you just want to hug them, but you know, you can't cause they're just so much bigger than you. They're like, it's all like, muscle. it's all like how kids feel when they look at adult, adults, right? They're just like, these people are like giants. And so it was good to like bring that perspective back to you that there are things much bigger than us and having yeah. that kind of effect. Um, when I was guided um, on a horse, previously they're like okay the horse can pick up your your emotions so you have to like you know exude confidence yes. and calmness and I'm like but I'm scared and I'm nervous and I don't like it because you're supposed to like um be kind of like the alpha like they have to feel com- like comfortable yeah. that you know what you're doing and I was like I I just I don't know how to like trick myself into um feeling that way because this horse is so big and they could just throw me off at any moment yeah yeah, no, totally. It's it's a whole it's it's all mental. This thing, at mm-hmm. least for me, it was for sure too. Okay, well, today we have a um, special guest. I am so excited about this interview, um, Michelle Lee, um, who has been um, a girl crush of mine for a long time, and um, I, I I manifested our friendship. And, um, she, you know, I, I met with her, I think it was about six months ago and I shared my idea and dream for a, 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 a conference in the beauty industry that was just solely dedicated to diversity and inclusivity, because I think these are topics that we, um, that are being, um, addressed in different um, venues, but it's like one of many. And I think it's something that we all need to think about, really need to digest. Things are changing all the time. And as people who um, are involved in the, you know, the industry of presenting what is the standard of beauty, what is the standard of care, what is the standard of like what we include in our aspirations, I think um, it's important for us to really understand um, how diversity and inclusivity affects everyone. And so I went to her with this idea and, you know, she was like, I love it. I want to help you. And she really has. And so she's come through in such a meaningful way. And um, so I'm so excited to um, have people get to know. Also, she's like a really funny, real person. I know a lot of people follow her on Instagram and um, you see all of like the shiny images, but she's so nice. So genuine, um, so hilarious, and I'm really excited for people to get to know um, her on a personal level. And um, a plug for our summit, it is called Voices of Beauty. It's going to be taking place in LA on March 27th and 28th. Um, You can find out more information on voicesofbeauty.com. We will have... um, really leading people, uh, thought leaders in the diversity space, um, from brands, from retailers, um, to beauty editors, to, um, influencers, 
Sarah, um, I, have to, I have to pause here for a second. You are like underselling the insanity of what you and your team have put together for Voices I was getting to it. I was getting to it. I was <laughs> you guys, this is like the most insane lineup. Like if you guys are in beauty and connected to tech, like the who's who of who's who is going to be at this Voices of Beauty conference. And it's insane. It's only this like coming up in like just so soon. It's such a cool event. Yes, please give him the deets because this is like an insane lineup. Thank you, Sabrina. I also cannot believe these people are coming to an event that I am organizing. I'm, I mean, the I'm vision, and it is awesome. Like what you guys are putting together. I'm so stoked and so excited. I think it's going to, okay. We had a dinner for this, um, like a pre-dinner to kind of get people involved and, you know, create like ambassadors for us. And people came up to me after the dinner and said, this is the best dinner that I've been to all year. And just the good vibes. And just like the openness and the like genuineness that that came because we're all talking about a subject that makes us vulnerable, that makes us, you know, compassionate. Um, it it was amazing. And I, if we could only capture that into this um, to this two day summit, I think I really think it's going to change lives. And I'm so excited. And it's not because of me, but because of everyone who, um, you know, is coming to support us. And I wanted to say also before I, I share some of the, you know, amazing speakers that we have is that no one was paid to speak. And um, we're not doing this um, to make a profit. All of uh, what is coming in from like ticket sales and sponsorships goes directly into producing the event. And so this is something that we're, I think everyone is doing from the heart. And, um, so yes, uh, as I was saying, some of the people that we have speaking, um, Ciara, who is the founder of On Skin, and um, Jessica Cole, who is the editor-in-chief of Allure, and Allure will also be um, doing live stories from um, backstage. Brandy Pitts, who is the VP of Integrated Marketing at Ulta. Um, John Legend, a okay, founder like of Loved One. This is like the who's who of everyone. It's everybody. You have the most incredible brand representatives. You have insane like editors and um and in um and then of course like this is amazing representation from retailers because as you guys know, we need every different stakeholder at this type of yes, conversation. Yes, absolutely. And I think this is really, really, this is just like your like first few names that you could drop. I feel like the the next 10 names, the next 10 names you have are like insane too. I'm so stoked. I, I'm excited just to, just to be in a room with all of the people that we have. Um, we're completely booked on speakers. Like we have no more space because so many people wanted to come and support. And I'm, like I said, I'm so humbled and floored by it. Um, so. Listeners, please go to VoicesOfBeauty.com um, just to even see um, the wonderful people who are supporting us in this effort to raise um, and elevate the issues of inclusivity and diversity in the beauty space. And if nothing else, I would love for you to see um, that there are people coming together from, like Sabrina said, every stakeholder group in the beauty industry to um, to really have the conversations that we need to be having. So please um, visit the website. Yeah. And I know you have a special, um, special kind of discount available for our listeners. And so this is awesome. And we're so excited to be able to offer the listeners 
um, who want to come to Voices of Beauty, um, you can use a code FULLSTACK20 for 20% off. So 20% off for your ticket. Uh, it's FULLSTACK20, F-U-L-L-S-T-A-C-K-20. I can't wait. And, ob- and, and obviously, Sabrina, you will be there. Um, we will be speaking together about technology um, and um, in its role in DEI. Uh, in the beauty space. So it'll be, it'll be a nice get together. We should film a podcast. Oh my God. I love it. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. And I'm so excited for just the, the types of conversations that really move us, right? Like we've been to some together at a few conferences mm-hmm. last year that I think, I think got your juices going around. Yes, absolutely. Go deeper. And it's so cool to see your brain go from there to now like put, put this voices of beauty together. And and it's amazing that Michelle saw the vision when you reconnected with her and how involved yes. and like how she's helped you. And so this is like another reason why she's even like more of a go in my eyes, but we're so stoked to even dive into this conversation in our episode today. Yes. I can't wait. So let's get into it. Hello, everyone. We're so excited. We're joined by the GOAT in the beauty world. Yes, Michelle Lee. She's an award-winning editor and a visionary, and she's truly influenced the beauty industry. We're so excited to have you, Michelle. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm so honored, and thank you for, for calling me the GOAT. <laughs> you are. <laughs> um, truly, truly, you are. We were at an event, um, and there were other beauty editors and influencers, and it was kind of eerie how everyone's stories like started with Michelle. <laughs> like, oh, when I worked at, with Michelle, oh, I would look, you know, I don't know. It's just like, I feel like the respect and the awe that people have for you is amazing. I mean, you look so young, but you've influenced um, so many people, and I think it's amazing how you do that with such grace and um, humility. And so it is truly, truly an honor for us to have you on our podcast. Thank you. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm super honored to be here. And yeah, that event was really fun. I felt like at the end of it, I was like, my ego can't take it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was like, oh, I wonder how it feels. Like, it's just like, you've like impacted so many people and people are so vocal about it. Like, um, I would, I would for sure, um, become, you know, like completely into myself, but you're not at all, which is like (laughs) the great thing. Um, I wanted to tell you, I've been meaning to tell you about the first time I met you kind of that I've never said because it's, it's embarrassing, but, um, we, you know, as landing has, uh, met with Allure like many times over the years. And, um, I, before, before I had my daughter, I actually was like really into nail art. Like that's what my friends would know me for. Like every season, every occasion I would like, you know, have like different nails and obviously like, you know, really into skincare. And then, um, when I, when I, when I found you on Instagram, I was like, oh my gosh, like she lives in New York. She's into nail art. She's into skin. I feel like we have to be friends. And I started to, um, like manifest it. I was like, I, I really feel like we need to be friends. So I, I just feel like she's someone that I would get along with. And then fast forward a couple of years, um, I was in the Condé Nast building, um, at world trade and, um, you were there and I think you were just like returning from lunch or, um, going, going down and, um, you got in the elevator first and then, um, 
myself and I don't know if it was Nadia or someone else, but we got in and I was like super nervous because I was like, oh no, should we say something? I obviously know who she is, but like maybe she's on lunch, so she doesn't want to be bothered. And then it went up, instead of going down, it ac- the elevator accidentally went up and Anna Wintour got in. And then, I, then it became from like excitement to like fear. <laughs> and then I was like, oh no. And then I just felt like energy. It was like, uh, you know, I feel like you have a powerful energy and she had a powerful energy and you were so um, funny um, because the um, the elevator that like went and hit like every floor and, you could tell <laughs> and I was like not happy. That is hilarious. Uh, yes, and <laughs> we were on the local one. <laughs> yes, you said that. You're like, oh, it looks like we took the local, which I thought was so funny. And, um, but I, I was like, oh no, um, don't laugh, don't make noise and also stop breathing because they need the air more than you, Sarah. <laughs> and, um, I literally got out and, um, was like, uh, texting my whole team. Like, you won't believe it. I was in the same elevator with Michelle Lee. She made a funny joke. Um, and <laughs> hilarious. I love it. Yes. And, and, and the, it, well, I didn't want to tell Michelle, like the first time meeting her, because then she's going to be like, oh, you're crazy stalker. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I feel that I manifested our, our friendship. That is a fantastic story. And whenever I hear stuff like that, I'm always glad too that it's like, I'm like, oh, okay. I was like funny and like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm also so flattered that it's like you were in the elevator with Anna Wintour, but what you told people was I was in the elevator with Michelle Lee. I'm so flattered. Yes. <laughs> and so you thought that it was Netflix that brought you to um, Los Angeles, but it was actually my powerful manifestation of our It was family. the power of Sarah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, it's so funny because I feel like when we actually first met, like for real in real life, I felt like I had known you for a really long time. So there is something about the power of the universe. Yes, I felt the same way. I felt very comfortable. I thought I would be nervous, but I actually felt quite comfortable. And um, no, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you. Um, I don't think that you need any introduction, but um, for um, the benefit of um, listeners who may not know your full journey, can you um, share with us um, your career, how you started in beauty and what you're doing now? Sure. So most people in the beauty world know me as I was the editor-in-chief of Allure for six years. But actually prior to that, I always say to people that I was very much a generalist. Um, Most of my career has been in publishing. So I grew up in Connecticut until I was 16. My dad got a job in Florida, which we were talking about before with like Miami. Um, uh, Lived in Florida for my last two years of high school, stayed down there for college. And so at some point in college, I was like, what do I want to do? So I picked magazine journalism. And so at the time that I graduated, I had gotten an internship at Glamour. And my every thought at that point was I wanted to become a fashion editor. Mm -hmm. And so I moved up. And as part of my internship, you got to spend two weeks in every department. And so my first two weeks was in the fashion closet. And I was like, I'm so excited. I've made it. I'm in New York City. And I hated it. (laughs) Does it look like what it looks like in Devil's Wear Prada? Oh, yes. And then so (laughs) fabulous. Like it is really, you know, especially at that time, that was like the heyday of like, you know, fashion magazines, et cetera. 
And so what you don't realize, though, is that obviously as an intern, you're not doing fun stuff in the fashion closet. But even mm-hmm. just like seeing everything, I think I instantly knew fashion was not for me. Oh, interesting. And so the first part of my career was very much, like I said, I was a generalist. I was kind of always um, beauty adjacent, but had never really been a beauty editor. And so I had been a music editor. I wrote about tech. I wrote about finance, about kids, about I even was a cars writer for a while. <laughs> and so I think I mentioned all of this because a lot of people in beauty, when you're a beauty editor, that's what you start out doing. And so you kind of have this trajectory of where then you become a beauty director and then, you know, maybe you become an editor in chief. For me, it was very much not that way, where I had much more of a broad cultural background. And so actually, when I became the editor-in-chief of Allure, I was a little bit nervous about it because I was like, I'm not a a pure beauty editor. Mm. But in hindsight, it actually ended up being this wonderful thing where I then saw beauty through the lens of culture and through Mm. entertainment and politics and, and other things. And so after I left Allure, um, I had gotten a job. I became a VP at Netflix, moved to LA. And in the past year, I now have launched my own agency called Monologue, which is an agency working with amazing beauty and lifestyle brands. Um, And yeah, it honestly, you know, while I was at Netflix, it was incredible. Like I learned so much there, but I really missed beauty, I have to say. Mm -hmm. And so anytime someone would like engage me in a conversation in like my personal life about skincare or makeup or hair or anything, I just instantly lit up. And so even though like the beginning part of my career was not really spent being beauty centric, I feel like I have found my purpose and my people. And Mm -hmm. I, I just truly, truly love beauty. That's awesome. I love that you gave that background and in that way, because um, I think that when, you know, in conversation, you do see things in a much broader lens and sort of like how it interweaves with all of these different things that you said, like was fashion, music, technology, culture. So um, that really makes a lot of sense. It's also good because sometimes we always feel like, especially as women, sometimes like, oh, we can't go into this career because we haven't done X, Y, Z step. And we, you know, we put that, we put that restriction on ourselves, um, but it, you know, we make it harder, but I, I love the story that you can share this where you don't need to have the traditional X, Y, Z path. You can step into an industry and still be at the top of the game for it without having the, done the traditional route that, um, definitely. And I think it's, um, there've been a lot of changes generationally too, because at the time that I was coming up in my career, it was very much the same pathway of like, you have an exact like walk up the ladder. Nowadays, luckily with younger generations, I don't think that they think that way. Like it truly is. You can zigzag in any type Mm -hmm. of way and like still make it to where you want to go. Yeah. I mean, and and, I mean, I guess to jump right in, like at Allure, you've obviously because of this, you know, this direction and this kind of high level view that you brought to it, you've been instrumental in, in breaking down some outdated beauty norms What's your, what was your vision in transforming the space when you, when you stepped into the role? So many things. Um, so <laughs> before that, I was the editor-in-chief and chief marketing officer at Nylon. And so Nylon, for anyone who doesn't know, like super, super cool brand. Um, it, at the time that I started, it was 16 years old, was very much about youth market, about culture, music, entertainment, fashion, and beauty. And so very different brand from Allure. Um, someone had reached out to me. And I had a bunch of different interviews at Condé Nast about this job at Allure. And I created this um, presentation to show them during the interview process. And so I think I still have it. Um, One of the very first bullet points in it said diversity. And at this time, so when I was interviewing, I think I started interviewing in like 2014. I got the job in 2015. 
if you travel back in time and remember 2014, 2015, people were not talking about diversity and specifically within media and advertising, beauty, everything, it was just not a thing. And so the fact that I, I'm like really proud of myself, I guess, for, for thinking about beauty in that sense back then, I think I had a personal relationship to that because like I said, I grew up in Connecticut in a very small town that was so not diverse. And so throughout most of my life, I just felt like I didn't belong. And I felt like I was constantly trying to be somebody who I'm not. And so I never felt like I related to any beauty writing or magazines or like any books and stuff because constantly they were talking about like, you know, here's how you put on eyeshadow and you put it into your crease. And I'm like, I don't have a crease. And so Mm -hmm. it wasn't even just a matter of like not physically being seen because models and celebrities and stuff didn't look like me. But like even in beauty advice, I just felt Mm -hmm. like it didn't, it wasn't for me. And so I had this like personal relationship with feeling like an alien, basically, that like I didn't look like other people. And so once I became a person who was in a position of authority and could actually change things, I thought, because I've had this personal relationship with beauty, I'm sure other people do too, where it's not just about seeing ourselves being reflected, but there's so much that we can learn about each other too. And so, you know, Sarah knows this. I've got three kids. Um, my oldest is 18. I've got a, uh, so that's a boy. I've got a 15-year-old daughter and then a three-year-old daughter. And I think a lot about even my own kids, and they have such a different view of beauty and appearance and other things in their generation. But, you know, the fact that so much has happened in the past, I would say, 10 years to help shift that thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my first months that I was on the job, once I got the job at Allure, I had a meeting with the sales team. And so they did like a little Q&A with me. And I remember one of the people asked me like a very broad question, what do you want to do with Allure? And I had not planned out answers or anything, but I said, I want to change the world. And people kind of went, ha, 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 like giggled a little bit, right? Because especially at that time, like Allure, iconic, wonderful magazine, but like people tend to look down on fashion and beauty as if it's frivolous, right? So for someone at a beauty magazine to say, we're going to change the world, it seemed a little like, okay, she's a little crazy. But I I look back at my time there and I really do think that we changed the world. Like Mm -hmm. I think that my vision was we need to look at these old antiquated beauty standards in a lot of different ways and tear them down and just figure out how to challenge them in a not angry way, right, but to make people think differently. And so just to give a couple of examples, um, the thing I think I'm probably still best known for is that while I was at Allure, we banned the term anti-aging. And so you know, it was actually an idea that came from a couple people on the team where they were like, why do we still even say this, right? Like it was, um, we'd done so much about uh, racial and ethnic diversity already, other things, but age was kind of that last thing where people were like, it's still a little bit of a taboo that within everything, we kind of look down. um, And even the way that we talk about aging is like, you know, I'm over the hill, (laughs) like anti-aging is sort of this negative thing that we have to, destroy and fight against when actually aging is a wonderful thing. Um, we had done lots of amazing covers um, right at the height of the the Muslim travel ban uh, in 2017. We did a cover with Halima Adden in a hijab that said, this is American beauty now. And so it just became this mission of ours to take, again, like topics that were very talked about and very provocative and buzzy at the time and to really get people thinking. 
Yeah. Um, I love that. And, and I think that it, it it's a role that could have been frivolous, but you made it not that way. And and so that's, it's so commendable. I, I know that you've spoken about um, the covers, like, you know, I think it was something about like how many women of color were on the magazine um, prior to you joining. Yeah. Could you share that? Yeah, definitely. So I think the story that I've, I've shared before has been, um, so I'm, I'm Chinese American. And so Again, like in my time at Allure, we kind of had done all these different things of like really, really changing the conversation about diversity. But weirdly, there was a point in time where I was like, but what have I done for the AAPI community? And so we did this amazing cover in 2018 that was for our hair issue. And we had three Asian models on the cover. And so I looked back while I was writing my editor's letter at how many Asian women had been on the cover of Allure in the prior I think it was like almost 25 years and like 300 something covers, there had only been two. So it was Lucy Liu and Olivia Munn prior to that. And so in one issue with our three Asian (laughs) cover stars, they each got their own uh, cover. We suddenly had more Asian representation than in the prior 25 years. That's amazing. Um, And so it was super eye-opening to me too, because again, as a person who was not not my first rodeo being an editor-in-chief, I also kind of felt like, you know, in, in reflection, I was like, why had I not done that before? Mm. And weirdly, as I've I've thought about it, I think I just didn't know it was possible. <laughs> like, yeah. right? Like we were sort of taught to do certain things. And then once you see, oh, wait, this is what's possible, then a whole other world opens up to you. And so after that cover, the hair issue that I mentioned, we had, I think, maybe 10 other Asian cover stars after that. Um and so, you know, covers, absolutely, I've talked about a lot, but even as much as I, I love the idea that we have gotten people thinking about every decision that you make is actually an important one. And so, mm-hmm. for example, you know, Sarah mentioned nail art before, like I'm a huge nail art person and have loved looking at hands and nails for a very long time. At some point, someone mentioned to me, why is it always a white woman's hand, right? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh my gosh, again, like this, this light bulb went, you're so right. And now, obviously, in the past couple of years, that obviously has expanded quite a lot. But at the time that I had this thought, um, every single magazine shoot, if you saw nails, it was always absolutely a white woman's hand. And so we did a nail art shoot that, um, yeah, I think it was with an amazing nail artist, May, and didn't show anyone's faces or anything, but we cast a black male model just as one of the hands. Again, Mm -hmm. you don't see his face or anything, it's just a hand. We didn't call it out. It wasn't a shoot that was like men and nail polish or anything else. But I'm I'm more than a lot of other things. I'm actually really proud of that because to me, that's the next phase of representation, right? And we've talked about this in Hollywood too, that it's like once there's just colorblind casting and you just show people in their full 360 degree self, that is really the future of things. And so as I think about like where things need to go, Yes, we've seen a lot more representation, et cetera, across a lot of different um, platforms and and avenues, but I still think that we're not quite there if we think about just the everyday decisions. Yeah. I do have one follow-up question. Sorry, Sabrina. I feel like- No, it's all good. I'm so excited to ask so many questions. This is your, like, I didn't know the story, the elevator story. So now there's so much that I feel like so enlightened by with all. I know you're like, um, (laughs) this is why we started this podcast. This has been like manifesting Michelle Lee. It was really just to get this episode. episode. I know we're done now. We can hang it up, hang up the mic. (laughs) (laughs) We're like, this is actually not even a podcast. This is is all a farce. Um, 
No, I, I think because like as Asian women and, and Sabrina, you and I have talked about this, like when, you know, in the early part of our career, um, you know, you kind of, you're, you're trying to follow the rules and to get to do what everyone else is doing. And I think that what I hear from you in your time at Allure, like there was like a shift of like, I'm not going to do what everyone else um, did to succeed. I'm actually going to do something different. And I just, I wonder, like, I wondered if that was like a conscious choice and if you, you know, um, like, was that the moment or did it come earlier? Cause I, I, I feel like just hearing you talk, like there was like a shift in like how you saw yourself and your role. Definitely. Um, and I hear you so much that in my time in school, for example, I feel like I was just always trying to fit in and like be more like other people. And definitely early on in my career, it was always just like, how do I be like everybody else? Yeah. And so even in like my first times as like an editor in chief, I also similarly was just trying to like, you know, do the right thing, what I thought was the right thing by like doing what other people were doing. And so to me, I feel like the shift really happened, even though, yes, I had come up with this presentation before getting the job where I said diversity, I still feel like the first year that I was at Allure, I was very safe. Um, and I was a little bit nervous to like do anything that was really rocking the boat. So in my second year, that's when we like really kind of came alive. We did this amazing cover that we called The Beauty of Diversity. We had three models of co color on the cover. Um, and what made it really special was that the shoot was gorgeous, first of all. Everyone was like completely gagged because it was like just gorgeous. Um, the story inside though, at this time, like imagine magazine features, especially for women's magazines, they were always like the very safe, nice story of you'd have the celebrity or the model and you go to dinner with them and you talk about what they're eating and then they have this nice career story and it's all very lovely. And so instead of doing that, we were like, okay, we're going to get really real and raw and so we interviewed the three models, but we also interviewed um, 41 women of color in the beauty and fashion industry talking about like really, really emotional, raw stories about racism, colorism, and what they've been through in the industry. And it went there. Like it was a really raw, emotional story. I'm so proud of that because it was so different at the time. And I think when you get positive feedback where suddenly I had people reaching out to me on the street, like on Instagram DMs, email, like some snail mail letters, being like, never in my lifetime did I think that I would see something like this. Like it gave me so much energy. And I think it gave the team so much energy too, that we had done something that we were kind of nervous about. And the fact that it got such an amazing positive response was so wonderful and just made us go, okay, how do we bring it to that next level? Um, and so, you know, as much as I feel like I, I certainly have gotten a lot of attention for doing these things, I have had an incredible team around me. And so I used to say to them all the time, I knew something was a good idea if I felt really nervous about it. Mm -hmm. And so there were several covers, like I, I mentioned the, um, the one with Halima, I was really nervous about it, but I had people on my team who were also kind of like pushing me to do things. And I feel like that's always what I'm looking for is like that creative push and pull where I can tell if I have butterflies in my stomach that like, this is a good thing. Yeah. We had a Avanta on a podcast before from A-Frame and she said like the best like teams or companies are when there's tension, like there's gotta be some, a little bit of tension. If there's no tension, then you just have yes men around you. And so you need, you need a little bit of the healthy arguments and discussions and kind of back and forth in order to really do things that are like meaningful. 
For sure. And it's really good. Um, it's really good advice, not only for people who are hiring managers, but also for more like junior teams too, because I feel like when I was younger, I was a little bit of like a yes person, right? Because I was nervous about um, conflicting with the boss or whatever. And so actually, I feel like most of the bosses who I've worked with, they do want that creative tension. And so it's a good thing for people to remember that like, you don't want to be a jerk about it, but um, it's actually okay to have very strong opinions and to voice them in the right way. Yeah. So from your just kind of unique vantage point, looking at what the industry is like today and the current state, like how would you describe it? Where do you think we're missing the mark? Or yeah, what are there some opportunities? It's, it's so much better <laughs> than what it was <laughs> 10 years ago. Absolutely. Um, we're not quite there yet, though, because I feel like there was this big rush of representation, right? And I think that my time at Allure, we were part of that representation. But this is what I was getting at, too, that it's like it's so much deeper than that, too, that it's not enough to check off the checklist. Like, we've got our representation. We're totally fine. We have to actually realize that, especially within the beauty world, it's a whole ecosystem. And actually, Sarah and, and Landing have like really opened my eyes to this, too, has been you know, we can talk as much as we want to about we need to support BIPOC founders, let's say, but then what happens, mm -hmm. right? And so I've, I've thought a lot about, um, I'm sure you both know about like the, the glass ceiling, obviously, but there's also the glass cliff where mm -hmm. women of color are put into positions of power at times of adversity. And so they're not given the support, they're not given the, um, the resources in order to succeed. And so they end up kind of falling off the cliff, unfortunately. I yeah. think that what's happening in certain areas within beauty is kind of that, that it's kind of like people want to make a good show and say, we've got the diversity, we've got the representation, you're on your own. Um, and that's kind of it. And so I think we need to now take a step back and think about how do we support people? How do we support executives? How do we support founders all throughout the process and really make it work? Um, and I will say too, like, Representation is super important, but we also have to hire across many, many levels. I feel like I saw a lot of companies and a lot of brands hire for diversity and they hired kind of all at the junior level mm -hmm. where I'm personally very obsessed with the idea of making sure that we have more people of color, but also women on like board seats in like executive um, in like the C-suite, et cetera. And I still feel like we're not quite there yet. Yeah. Um, just to switch gears a little bit to um, the mom part of our podcast, um, Sabrina and Michelle, ha you guys have, well, actually several things in common. Um, you lived in New York, you married um, the man you met in college, and you're still married to them. And you <laughs> both have three kids, and we all have daughters between the age of two and three. But what I think is fascinating um, is you know, I'm a first time mom. And so I have like a lens, but then like when I hear Sabrina, like it's completely <laughs> different because this is her third, but then Michelle, your story is like even more interesting because there's a huge gap between your second and your third. And I would love to know what, you know, maybe how you approach, you know, your youngest is a different, like any parenting advice you want to share. Oh, so much. Wait, Sabrina, how old are your kids? So I have a eight and six, which are boys. And then my youngest, she's two and a half. Um, okay. Yeah. So I thought for the longest time, and my husband thought also that we were done because we had our boy, we had our girl, both healthy. And we were like, okay, 
we think we're good. We don't want to yeah. attempt, you know, we don't want to do anything. Um, at some point when my then youngest one, who's now my middle one, um, became very independent, I had this panic of, oh my gosh, am I never going to have a little one again? Mm -hmm. And so I just became obsessed with this idea of having another one. By that point, I was already, I think at the time we started really trying, I think I was 43 already, um, was not working, was not working out. Um, we did IVF. And so by the time I had her, I was 44. And so in the IVF clinic, they were like, the chances of you getting pregnant at that point, even with IVF, were like literally zero. Yeah. So we had one viable embryo. It ended up being her. And so she truly is like our little miracle baby. Um, she was born a month before everything shut down with COVID. And so she, you know, the first couple of years of her life, she was definitely living in a bubble. We treat her so differently <laughs> than we treat our <laughs> first one. And it's so hard because, um, you know, 18 years ago when Ethan was born, the world was a very different place. I always say like, yes, there was internet, but like it wasn't like it is today. I was still working off of a physical copy of the what to expect when you're expecting book, mm -hmm. where it's like <laughs> I would just have to leaf through it. And I did not have a lot of experience with babies when he was born. So the first diaper that I changed of his was the first diaper I changed in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And so we just didn't know what we were doing. Um, now, flash forward to our, our little one, Zoe, I always say to people, it's almost like we're her grandparents because we've already raised a full adult in Ethan. And so we look at like this whole past 18 years of experience with him. And I can see now where if she's crying, if she's having a tantrum, anything, it's okay. And we we know how to deal with it. And so for example, she was sick last week and then went just went back to school to preschool this week. And her separation anxiety weirdly has kicked back in. With our older kids, we felt terrible and we were like, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing. What are we going to do with her? Because we've been through it before. We just know we're going to drop her off. She'll be fine in five minutes. And there's just less anxiety. Um, yeah. I also have to say too, part, part of it is if you have this huge age gap, we were in a completely different place. I was in a different place professionally, financially, everything. When we first had Ethan 18 years ago, then I am today. And so just in terms of like the help that we have in terms of like everything else, it's very different. Um, that being said, having three kids is never easy. <laughs> like everything <laughs> is definitely a balancing act. Once they get older and they're teenagers, they they need you less in certain ways because they have their own lives. Some you know They can drive at some point, but they also need you in different ways of being like emotionally there for them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Gabby, my 15-year-old, is a teenager. And so we have different conversations. All of the stages are wonderful. And I have to say, I'm so lucky because both my husband and I were terrible, terrible teenagers, like real assholes. <laughs> and so like before we had kids, we were like, oh, we are so screwed because our kids <laughs> as teenagers are going to be really rough. I have to say my two teenagers are amazing and they are not at all like us. So it's very possible to still have good, nice, kind <laughs> teenagers. That's okay, really so good hope. to know because I, my husband and I were both like big troublemakers. And so we're like, oh my gosh, if you put the two of us together, what will we get? I know. There was like a lot, same conversations. Like I used to sneak out. My husband used to have parties when he wasn't supposed to be having parties at the house. And I was like, okay, we're just, I don't know. Of course our kids are going to be driving. We're going to, we're going to just have it coming for us. So it's good to know. <laughs> you know what it is? It's, um, we're good communicators with them. Mm -hmm. Like I think that both of us agreed early on, we're going to be really open with them about stuff. And so I think that we have, you know, I love my, my parents are 
incredible, but we never really opened up on like an emotional yeah. level that much. Like I mean, maybe it's the Asian, Asian American thing. It's generational. <laughs> um, but we talk a lot with our kids about stuff and that it does feel quite different. I think that's an Indian cultural thing too. Like we just, we, we were around our parents all the time, but we never had like real, like the tough conversations or the uncomfortable ones that felt like it was a two-way dialogue. It was a very like, no, you are not doing that or that is not allowed. Yeah. Um, no, I think what happens with like the subsequent quid kid is the fact that you're just, at least with maybe my first two, I had really close in age together. So I felt like it was just one kid, but I think with my third, it, it's still crazy. And you're still like, oh my God, how am I, like you kind of forget some of the stuff that pops up. And then when it comes up, you're like, oh my God, like, you know, it's going to pass, but it still just sucks when they're in the tantrum phase or whatever. Um, this, is, this is probably too much information, but like with, <laughs> with Zoe, we had like some issues potty training her. And it's true. Like I went through the same thing where I was like, this is never going to be good. It's never going to work. And it's like, yeah. then when you look back on it, it's such a blip in time. But like at, yeah. at that exact moment, it feels like the worst thing that's never going to pass. <laughs> no, that's, that's the so big takeaway. Yeah. yeah. Everything passes. And that's what you have to remind yourself. Um, I mean, this is a podcast like about moms as well. So I will, sh I will definitely share too much information. But we just potty trained um, Harley at the beginning of the year. Ooh. And I, I don't know. I, I thought that she would get it right away, to be honest with you. She's very food motivated. And so I said, if you go to the potty, I'll give you chocolate. Um, <laughs> and she just she didn't get it. OK, she didn't get it for days. And then I think it was like on the fourth or fifth day, she I went into the bathroom and she had um, done a number two in the toilet. Okay. And it was just Ooh. there. She didn't say anything and she did it. And I literally cried. <laughs> I was so happy to see it. And I was like, this is the weird experience. I'm literally looking at crap in a toilet and like, <laughs> like tears crap of joy my, are coming out. You're so proud. Well, yes, my, my older two are really going to hate that I'm talking about this because now that they're older, but like <laughs> so with our older two, like I remember reading probably in my like my physical what to expect book um, just to take their diaper off at some point one weekend and just let them run around. Mm -hmm. And so the two of both of them potty trained themselves like literally within a day. And so I somehow had in my mind that with the third one, I would just do the same thing. I waited too long though with her. I think with them, mm -hmm. I did it when they were two. With her, we waited until she was like almost three to start. Um, we were just slow at it. She was too smart and too stubborn, I think, by that point, and she oh. kind of had control issues. So she was holding it in, and she would hold it in for hours. Like we would sit around the potty, and she was like, "I'm and she just would not do it. <laughs> it took like a couple weeks for her to actually do it, and I was like, "I've totally screwed this up. I've waited too long." And it's totally it's true. You go through those same moments of like, "What have I done?" Oh man, yeah. Well, I could talk to you two ladies forever, but unfortunately we do have to wrap up. Um, but before we go, I wanted to make an announcement. Um, and I'm, I'm do a drum roll. That, hmm? Yes. Do the do drum, roll. drum roll. <laughs> Somebody add, add the music, um, that we, um, are hosting a, a beauty summit dedicated to inclusivity and diversity called the voices of beauty summit. It's taking place, um, in uh, March uh, 27th and 28th in Los Angeles. And at the very the very first meeting that I had with Michelle, I, I told her this idea uh, for um, the summit and that there's nothing in the beauty space that's just fully solely focused on all types of inclusivity issues. It, you know, even inclusivity issues seems to be kind of like siloed in, you know, is it a women's issue? Is it a 
um, is it a Asian issue? Is it a black issue? Is it a, you know, like over 50 issue? And um, I, I said to her, someone should do something. It should be us. And um, I think at the time I could see that she was taking it in and she uh, was like, you know, if you do this, I will help you. And she um, absolutely has been um, amazing. Like really, I think like without her, I don't think this, you know, summit could have happened. She's really put all of her um, resources and experience um, into helping us launch this amazing event and the lineup. Um, is insane. I would say I'm so like good. floored um, of how good the speakers are. And um, this is why she's the goat. Because, <laughs> you, know, she helps. It's, you know what? It's been an easy sell because one, I mean, you and I are both super passionate about this topic, but I feel like there's so many other people who are passionate about it too, and have probably not even realized like that this is something that they wanted until someone else said, Hey, we're doing this. this. Happening. Yep. Yeah. Um, so tickets are um, on sale at voicesofbeautysummit.com, and um, you will see Michelle and I and Sabrina there. So hope to see you in person. And um, truly, truly, Michelle, thank you so much for being here today. Um, I honestly, even if I, you know, even in my manifestation of our friendship, I, I did not think you would be as cool as you are. And so um, somehow the reality was even better than the dream. The goat is really the goat. Truly uh, ladies, this has been so lovely. And Sarah, we'll have to go get our nails done at some point together. And Sabrina, when you're here too, we'll, we'll all go for a nail appointment. Definitely. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. All right, bye. Thank you for listening. And let's end with our quote for this episode. My quote is um, about diversity. So this is a quote from somebody actually at Accenture. But I, I love it, and, and I think that it, we, it really helps me to think about um, this in a different way, which is diversity is a fact, but inclusion is a choice we make every day. And um, I think that our conference, this conversation, the, the conversations that we've been having, um, we make a conscious decision to include inclusion into our, like, you know, our hiring into our business practices, into the things that we choose to highlight, um, even on this podcast. And so I think this is just kind of a reminder and a challenge um, to everyone that's listening that, you know, we have the ability to make inclusion a conscious choice and we should all be doing so. Oh, I like that. Um, that's a great quote. I, uh, for me, as I kind of think about this, I, I don't know. I feel like I went a different route where I went to the good old Michael Scott from the office. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and what I think something he said, one of them was like, people will never be replaced by machines in the end. Life and business are about human connections. Okay. Um, he said a little bit more and he added, and computers are about trying to murder you in a lake. <laughs> to me, the choice <laughs> is easy. But I think what he's saying in the beginning is is so interesting given like what's going on with technology, especially now with AI and this like the mo like kind of we're in an interesting space in the tech world again, right? And we always feel like as we're running businesses, it's all about processes and machines, but it's really about the human connections and people. And it's just so important to always remember that like, 
it's all about people and what we build together and how we're going to build it together. And so like, it's always interesting to be able to teach people to do certain things, but it's really about like, how can you be the, a leader with love and lead with love and lead with, you know, love in, in, in all your decisions as a, as a leader. So it's kind of why I went to Michael Scott. Cause I feel like he just somehow does teach me some of these things in his unique quirky ways. <laughs> Um, no, I love it. So many, so many lessons can be learned from the office. Um, but it is, I mean, I think it, it, it does tie into what we've been talking about, which is at the end of the day, um, business is about people. And, um, even with all of the technologies that we, we use and that we develop, um, I don't think we're trying to replace people. We're really trying to give tools, better tools to the people to make decisions. And it, I think, uh, I mean, even the reason why we're doing this, even the reason that we get motivated is, is comes down to like the relationships that we have and the people that we work with. Yeah. Um, totally. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad Michael Scott is cool and accepted in our quotes, uh, library. Um, but you guys, thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to go to Voices of Beauty uh, so you could check out what's going on at the conference. And of course, use our full stack 20 coupon code if you want to come and get a 20% off your ticket price. And don't forget to keep up with, of course, all things full stack beauty podcasts. Subscribe here and review. We're really appreciative that you're here. Have a good one. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs>